This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. And now I'm very happy to welcome to the show Dr. Ariella Carno, who's an accident and emergency doctor in Watford in England, uh, just to find her take on what has been going on in uh, the time of Corona, which is everybody's favorite phrase. Dr. Ariella Carno, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, hi, Benji. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, maybe start off uh, by telling us how did a nice South African Jewish girl end up in Watford doing business, uh, doing medicine? Um, um, so basically, it's all my husband's fault. Uh, I got married. So um, I married uh, when I was the I used to be the president of the South African Union of Jewish Students. Once upon a time, I met a lovely guy who was the president of the French Union of Jewish Students. Um, I moved to France and then subsequently came to the UK to do a master's. I did a master's in neuroscience. And then I stayed to do my foundation program in England, which is the South African equivalent of internship. So I'm in my last few months of the, my second year of internship. Um, and at the moment, I'm working at Watford General Hospital in the accident and emergency department. And... Um, and just for anyone who doesn't know, Watford is just sort of north of North London, so just outside the, the Jewish belt, as it were. Okay, very interesting. So that's how you ended up uh, there. And, uh, I mean, did you expect that you would be having to deal with this sort of thing uh, when you – uh, when you ended up in Watford, uh, I mean, I, I'm, Im- I'm imagining that A&E is probably more exciting in Barra than it is in England. Um, not necessarily. It's a, it's a very different, very different way of working and very different uh, population profile. Um, we're not a major trauma center, so we have a tendency to see more, more heart attacks than uh, major trauma, but it's still very busy, very exciting, and um, I'm very proud of the way my hospital has dealt with the crisis, I have to say. Now, you're part of uh, what they call in England the NHS, the National Health Service, um, and that's something we hear a lot about. Uh, it's something people in England are very proud of. They they really they love the NHS. Uh, what, what actually is it to, for South Africans who maybe have not encountered it before? So... so- in, in South Africa, we have we have the public system and we have the private system. The NHS in England is the public system, um, except it's a much more utilised public system than we do use in South Africa. I know in South Africa that anyone who has the privilege of health insurance prefers to use that health insurance rather than using the public system. Um, in England, it's much more widely utilised, so pretty much everyone uses the NHS. So anyone who has um, EU citizenship or is a UK citizen can come to the NHS and get free treatments. So um, the, the one thing that's very different to South Africa is it's um, the role of the GP is, is very important. I know in South Africa we've got the district level and the community centres, and then before we go to tertiary and quaternary hospitals, it sort of works the same way. Um, but basically GPs refer to hospital, hospitals write discharge summaries that keep the GPs informed of what's happening to their patients. So... The aim is to try keep everyone as healthy as possible and have good catchment. But it's it's the free public healthcare system set up after World War Two. So, talk to us a little bit about the 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 journey that your hospitals had to go on uh, in order to deal with the the corona 
uh, epidemic. You know, England was was pretty hit early on and, and, and pretty hard. And I imagine that in London, uh, it was probably more acute than other parts of the country. So, so tell us about what that process looked like. Well, it's, it's definitely been a process where the regulations can sometimes change up to three, four times a day. Um, but initially, so the government had the herd immunity strategy. And when people were, and when people were coming into the hospital, we had something called the code violet. And, um, they would come in, people would go out and see them with a hazmat suit. They would go into a specific area and it was a very isolated form of treatment, but the rest of the departments was pretty much the same. And then that changed with the public health regulations that we moved to the more um, lockdown phase. And I know everyone's been following. Boris Johnson got coronavirus. It became a lot more prevalent. Um, and at that point, they decided we sort of needed to tackle this head on because we'd be getting a lot more cases. So I'll speak specifically about my A&E department, since it's what I'm most qualified to speak on at this point. Um, they split the department into different areas. So we've got the main department, which we see all regular patients, and then we've got two COVID-specific areas in the department. One is our resuscitation unit, where we see all acutely, acutely ill patients. That can be if you fall off a roof or have a heart attack or have coronavirus. Um, And in those areas, you wear full protective, um, personal protective equipment. And then we've also got another area called Majors 2, where you see anyone with a any respiratory problem. And so the way the hospital works is all patients come through A&E. There's no specific A&E for different specialties. A&E sees them. They sort them out into different specialties, and we either send them home or we admit them. So at the moment, any patients who require admission for COVID-19 are admitted under the medical team, and anyone who's well enough to go home is discharged and um are followed up by something called the virtual COVID clinic. So people, they're seen in hospital, they're often given like an oxygen saturation probe to go home with, and the virtual team will, will do follow-up. So that's sort of the structure of how we're working at the moment. We're talking today to Dr. Ariella Kano about how her experience with the coronavirus in England. We'll be back just after the break. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.95 FM, I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review, talking today to Dr. Ariella Cano, who is an A&E doctor, uh, talking uh, to us about the COVID reality in the UK. Now, Ariella, what happens if you get someone who comes in, say, with a broken arm, but you don't know if they also have corona? Well, basically, we do their observations. We do their observations if they're saturating fine, they don't have any abdominal symptoms, and they don't have any respiratory symptoms. You see them in the main department, and you treat them for a broken arm, but we're all wearing masks in the main departments regardless, so you see them and treat them for what they've got. And how many corona patients do you yourself see every day? Like, is it, is it a common occurrence? Uh, is it uh, something that's not that, that, that happens that often? It depends which area of the department you're working in. Um, if you're working in resus or majors too, every single patient you see that day will be coronavirus. <laughs> but um, on the plus side, our numbers have decreased. Um, we've halved our ITU admissions at the moment. So we had about 32 patients in ITU. We've got half of that at the moment. 
and we're having a lot of patients than, than we did have previously. And we're seeing a lot more of the regular patients, which were staying away from hospital because many people were afraid to come to hospital because of the whole COVID situation. So I think that's... So what does ITU stand for, Ariel? Sorry, um, uh, the intensive care units, ICU. ICU, right. Okay, so, all right, so, so there does seem to be a bit of a normalization uh, happening. Uh, do you get the sense that the UK is starting to get a bit of a handle on, on dealing with this thing from, from the medical response side? Well, I mean, I think well, the I mean, point of lockdown in the UK was to provide the NHS with capacity to treat patients. I mean, they've opened up a 4,000-bed hospital. There's something called the Excel Centre um, off Canary Wharf. Um, so they've opened up a Florence, the, the Nightingale Hospital. So they've, they've massively increased capacity. Um, so I think the UK does have a much better handle at the moment in terms of capacity. Um, and also um, Boris Johnson gave a nationwide speech last night and we're easing lockdown measures at the moment. So hopefully it's, it's getting a bit better, but it's, I leave the policy decisions up to the decision makers. But from what I can see, it seems to be improving slightly. Now, I'm interested also in this clapping phenomenon. Uh, we saw it, uh, I think, in Italy. We've, we've seen it in Israel as well. Um, but there's this, like, nightly clapping for, uh, uh, for, for health workers in the NHS. I mean, does, is that something that, that the, that the people on the ground hear about, know about, appreciate? Uh, has, has it been a, a, a big part of, of, of this experience? Um, it's actually something that's really, really lovely. Um, but it's actually every Thursday night at 8 p.m. in England specifically, not every night because British people have to have a schedule. Um, but it's the, the feeling of support and solidarity you get, particularly when you're working for the NHS, has been really, really incredible. The NHS is currently inundated with food. Everyone wants to donate something. Everyone wants to do something. And we had – I was on shift two weeks ago on a Thursday at 8 p.m. and we all went outside and the – Many members of the police and the ambulance forces came and they stood and they clapped and they blared their sirens. And it's very encouraging that, you know, the, the country is standing behind you. They're standing with you. And the, the response is really appreciated. Like you hear stories of obviously within the Jewish community, but also without of people helping each other, people realizing, oh, I've got an elderly neighbor. Can I help to do their shopping? So I think you're seeing a lot of human kindness, sort of the best aspects of humanity and People really are supporting the NHS and people's, when I, when I see patients or speak to patients, I've, I've never gotten thanked so much in my life. So there really is a sense that the country is supporting you, which is really lovely. And you, you mentioned the Jewish community, uh, you know, we've had to lock down our, uh, sort of elderly community here and we had to do it really early. Uh, there is a sense in that the Jewish community has been hit harder in the UK and the US. Uh, in particular, uh, what is the sense inside the community there, uh, as, as far as you can tell, about uh, where it's where it's at? Well, I think I think the community is really resilient. The Jews are very proactive. There seem to be a lot of community initiatives to help people. Um, there seem to be a lot of Jewish learning initiatives, the same as in South Africa and Zub learning and Minyanim and I mean. I work in a hospital with a lot of Jewish doctors, a number of the head consultants in A&E are Jewish, so they keep offering kosher food to the Jewish doctors. I mean, in terms of um, 
in terms of we always we always seem to make a disproportionate response wherever we are. Uh, we we hit we punch bigger than our weights. Um, but I mean, we're looking. Everyone is looking to look after each other, and I think that that's the important thing. And also, but just this disease does have a tendency to affect the elderly more than the young, fit and healthy in general. And also, the Jewish community, um, a lot of them, a lot of the community are elderly members. So possibly that provides for the disproportionate numbers. But I can't, I can't really comment specifically. But that's more the sense that I get, rather than the Jewish community has been targeted specifically by coronavirus. Now, your, your, uh, you, you said before that this is kind of your community service that you have to do, your internship uh, in, in, in the NHS. What do you, what do you intend to do when you get done? So, um, I have a specialty position in psychiatry. Um, I've written my exams, done my interviews, and I start on the 5th of August. So I will be going straight from A&E into psychiatry. That's, that's my intention. And will it also be in Watford or will you be moving somewhere else? Uh, no, so we, we work on, the NHS works under different trusts. So I'll still be in Hertfordshire, which is the area Pride and Prejudice is set in for interest. But, um, it, I won't be, um, I may cover Watford specific, I may cover Watford at time when I'm on call, but it won't be my, um, specific, specific area. But just one thing I would, would want to say is that, I think it's just really a privilege to work in the NHS. I think the British people are very right to be proud of it because I feel like the doctors are looked after very well because particularly one of the main things is the working hours. I mean, I know the working hours are really difficult whenever you're a doctor, particularly when you work in a very busy specialty. But there's a really lovely thing called the European Working Directive, which hopefully they don't get rid of with Brexit. That means you can't work more than a 12-hour shift which I know is not standard in South Africa, that you have a 24 to 36 hour shift. So even though you may have a couple of 12 hour shifts in a row, you still can go home and sleep and recharge and have rest. And if you do get ill or become symptomatic, then you go and get testing and you can take that 14 days sick leave or seven days sick leave off. So I think that's just very important for when looking after your healthcare professionals who are looking after patients and just making sure they're well rested. Well, that is, uh, you know, uh, a, a great way, I think, to end off um, the, the the interview. Uh, Ariella, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, stay, I don't want to say stay home because you actually can't stay home, but stay safe. And, uh, yeah, and thank you so much for uh, the work that you've been doing. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Benji. And I just uh, also lovely to be speaking to South Africa again. So I'd just like to say a shout out to my family probably listening this morning and uh, South Africa is always in my thoughts. So I'm following closely and standing in solidarity with the South African response.